Let's give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, His judgments, and all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, His sworn promise, to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sodomism, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine in the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his works. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. 
for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, so wonderful to see you all uh, at church today. Um, and I think it's been such a long time since uh, we were here in these sort of numbers. Um, so really wonderful to uh, gather together like this. Uh, if you weren't able to come in physically today and you're joining us on Zoom, a uh, special welcome to, to you as well. It's great that uh, you can join us. Uh, just before I start, um, I might um, just also say a word of welcome uh, to Grace, uh, who's sitting out the back, uh, and uh, her son, Andrew. Uh, it's really great that uh, you can be here and uh, joining us once again. Um, we still miss John, as I'm sure you do, but it's uh, great that we can um, uh, fellowship together uh, like this this morning. Uh, how about uh, I'll lead us in prayer before we get stuck into Psalm 105. Uh, so please have that open in front of you, and uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, and ask God for understanding this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather like this this morning to uh, formally kick off uh, our ministries for 2022. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing us safely through last year, and uh, as we've heard in uh, all the interviews for growing us and deepening our faith in our Lord Jesus. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, uh, you would uh, do the same thing this year. Uh, help us to grow, uh, help us to uh, grow more like Jesus uh, in trusting you and in loving uh, you and loving others around us. And uh, we pray, Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, uh, that by your spirit you would work in us to produce great fruit um, and lips that praise your name. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, what are some powerful promises that have shaped your life? What are some powerful promises that have shaped and changed your life? Uh, for those of us who are married, uh, I'm guessing that the promises you made to one another on your wedding day have profoundly changed your life. You set up a home, and many of you have had children. Going through the ups and downs of life committed to one another has changed you profoundly. Now, for others of us, it might be the, prom the promises that are made in the workplace. Now, perhaps the team that you work with in the workplace have made promises to one another. And it's those promises that motivate you to work hard and not let each other down so that you can share in the fruit, fruit of your labors together. Uh, some of you might know the name Hudson Taylor. Uh, we have a Hudson Taylor in our church, not that one. But uh, Hudson Taylor was uh, you know, that famous missionary who grew a pigtail and wore Chinese clothing uh, in order to reach the Chinese with the good news of Jesus. But what most people do not know is that he went to China with virtually no money. 
And uh, he's known to have said these words. He said, I have ten cents and the promises of God. I have ten cents and the promises of God. In other words, it was the promises of God that spurred him on to leave behind every comfort in his life in order to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. Now, promises can change our lives, can't they? What are the promises that have changed your life and have shaped your life? Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, Psalm 105, uh, which was just read out for us. And uh, Psalm 105 is uh, one of a collection of Psalms uh, in the book of Psalms, which have come to be known as the Hallelujah Psalms. Uh, Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And uh, if you have a look down in in, uh, your Bibles, you can see uh, at the end of the previous psalm, at the end of Psalm 104, it ends by saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, Psalm 105 also ends with those words, praise the Lord. And Psalm 106 uh, begins with those words and ends with those words as well. But if you have a look uh, through Psalm 105, you can see there that the main driver of this psalm are the promises of God to Abraham. Uh, if you remember, uh, God, all the way back in Genesis 12, promised Abraham and his offspring uh, three things. Uh, can you just turn to the person sitting next to you and uh, see if you can uh, name those three things that God promised I'm just going to give you 10 seconds, so just have a quick chat. What are the three things that God promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12? What are the three things that God promised Abraham in Genesis 12? Land is one of them. Children, offspring, a people. Yep. And one other thing. Blessing, blessing. Yep. So people, land, and blessing. Remember that because uh, that's very important, uh, not only in Psalm 105, but the whole Bible. And uh, you can see that uh, those promises of God are what this psalm is really about. Uh, That's why in verse 6, this psalm is addressed to the offspring of Abraham, if you have a look. Uh, That's why in verse 9, it mentions the covenant promises that God makes with Abraham. Uh, That's why in verse 42, it speaks of God remembering his promises to Abraham. It's all about this specific promise or promises to Abraham and his offspring. But if you come with me to the beginning of the psalm, you can see there that it begins with a call to joyfully praise God in your life, to praise the Lord. You can see there in verse 1 that the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Or verse 2, he says, Sing to him, sing praises to him. Further, it's not 
just the call to kind of casually, you know, praise God, but rather it's a call to praise Him wholeheartedly, with our whole hearts. For you can see there in verse 3 that the psalmist says, Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Uh, you know, in many Christian circles, uh, praising God has become just about singing. Uh, of course, it's not wrong to praise God in song. Uh, even this psalm calls us to praise God in song because praising God is to be a joyful thing. However, praising God does not only need to be in song. In fact, praising anyone doesn't need to be in song. I mean, um, I can go up to Ian Cho and I can say to him, Ian, uh, you're a handsome-looking man and you're a wonderful person. But it would be a bit strange for me to sing it to him, maybe. Um, just saying those words to him is a way of praising him, you see. But further, you can praise someone to other people as well, can't you? I mean, if I go up to you or you and say, you know that person called Ian? What a wonderful person he is. What a handsome man he really is. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm praising Ian to you. And it's like that with the praise of God, you see. For when you see the goodness of God and all his wonderful works in your life, you cannot help but praise him not only to God himself, but to others around you. Now that's why in the second part of verse 1 it says, Make known his deeds among the peoples. And in the second part of verse 2 it says, Tell of all his wondrous works, not only to God, but to others around you. You see, if your heart loves something, and your heart is firmly convinced that that thing is good, then your praise cannot be contained. I my daughter, uh, who has just entered high school, and whose heart has fallen in love with a K-pop band called BTS. You know, whenever she sees mum and dad, she can't speak about anything but BTS. When she meets with her friends, she can't speak about anything but BTS. You know, their songs and, you know, the good-looking members of the group. And, you see, she just can't stop praising <laughs> the thing that she loves. What the scriptures are saying here is that if your heart and if my heart has been gripped and affected and moved by God himself, then we will be a people who cannot help but tell others about the wonderful works of God. Is that true for you? Has your heart been touched by God? gripped by God, moved by God, so that you can't help but speak about Him. Not only to other members of the church family, uh, which is a wonderful thing to do, but even more broadly than that, to those who do not know the Lord. However, notice that this psalm gives reasons why God's people can offer God and others such heartfelt praise. 
Now you can see there in verses 7 to 11 uh, that the psalmist speaks about God's promises, can't you? Once again, uh, in verse 7 he speaks about our God. And who is our God? Well, he's a God who makes promises. In verse 8, it speaks about the covenant promises of God which last forever. In verse 9, it speaks about promises being made to Abraham and his children, Isaac and Jacob. In verse 11, it speaks about the content of those promises, one of which, as we saw, is the giving of land to his people, the land of Canaan. It's not just the fact that God makes promises that is the reason for praise. Rather, it's the fact that God is faithful and committed and trustworthy in keeping His promises that is the real reason for praise, isn't it? You know, it's not just the making of promises that is a good thing. I mean, many of you will know the heartache of broken promises. Some of you know of marriages that have collapsed because of broken promises and the devastation that that has caused. Rather, the goodness of God is seen not only in the fact that He makes promises, but that He is faithful in keeping those promises. Which is why the rest of the psalm goes on to remind us of God's faithfulness to these promises in the history of Israel. When I was a high school student, um, we had these things called cliff notes. Does anyone remember cliff notes? Just put your hand up. Oh, okay, some of us. Uh, do they still have cliff notes these days? They do. Um, cliff notes are these little books that you can buy which provide a summary uh, of certain books and topics. They've been prepared by experts and uh, they are wonderful for when you're planning for an exam because uh, it gives you a quick summary. And so, because I didn't really want to read Pride and Prejudice, um, I just bought the cliff notes and it, it showed me what it was all about. Uh, Psalm 105 is a bit like the cliff notes of the Bible. It's a summary of the Bible from Genesis to Exodus. Now, uh, unlike me with Pride and Prejudice, I'm not saying don't read the rest of the Bible and just go to this. For we miss out on so much of the depth of God's Word if we just read the summary and, and not the whole thing. But here we are given a summary because uh, the psalmist wants to show us specifically about the faithfulness of God. And so in verses 12 to 15, you can see there that the psalmist speaks about the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the book of Genesis. You know, this was a period in Israel's history where they were wandering around in the promised land, uh, but as nomads rather than as people who actually possessed the land. But the important thing to see here is that Israel at this time were nobodies. Uh, in verse 2, they were few in number, he says. They were of little account. They were sojourners or refugees rather than citizens in the land. And yet in God's kindness, he treated this little group of nomads as somebodies. 
He protected them from harm. In verse 14, God protects them from kings. In verse 15, He treats Israel uh, as royalty, saying, saying to anyone who dares to touch them, touch not my anointed ones. And He treats them as His representatives on earth by saying, do my prophets no harm. And why did God treat these people, these nobodies, as somebodies? Well, it's because of his faithfulness to his promises to Abraham. However, the psalmist continues in verses 16 to 25 to speak about the period of Joseph. You know the one with the technicolor dream coat? For this is the period in which God brings the people out from a time of famine and a time of desperation and brings them into a period of great fruitfulness in their lives. Now you can see there in verse 16 that it begins by saying, God summoned a famine on the land. Notice that it is God who brings famine. I think this is very important for us to understand because the Bible is very clear that God brings disaster as well as fortune. It's quite tempting to think, isn't it, that when good things happen in this world, well, that's God doing that. Whereas when there's disaster in this world, well, God has nothing to do with that. You see it in how some Christians respond to natural disasters. You know, when there are devastating earthquakes or tsunamis or pandemics, in the world, which claims thousands of lives, many Christians are quick to say that God has nothing to do with that. However, that is not the God of the Bible, friends. For God is sovereign over all things in this world. He brings disaster as well as fortune. He takes away as well as gives. He doesn't always protect his people from harm. But he always has a good, sovereign purpose behind the things that he brings. However, on the other hand, many Christians do the opposite thing. And not only say that God is behind every disaster, but they begin to attribute motive to God as well. And so, for example, you know when those planes flew into the Twin Towers uh, in New York on 9-11? Some Christians came out and said that that was a judgment from God uh, on the materialism of Americans. It's hard to see why Americans are suddenly so much more deserving of God's judgment for materialism than the people of Sydney. That's what they said. But you see, we need to be very careful about saying things like that because although in the Bible and in the events of the Bible uh, we are given a revelation of God's motives and why He does certain things, uh, when we look at the devastating things that happen in our world now, well, although we can know that God is sovereignly in control of those things, 
We are not actually given any revelation for why he is doing those things, you see. And so it's not possible to attribute motive in these specific ways. But in the famine of Joseph's day, well, we are told exactly what God is doing, aren't we? What was God's motive? Well, his motive was to send a man to rescue his people from famine. In verse 17, notice he sends Joseph. And you know the story. Joseph is sold into slavery by his uh, brothers. But what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. For in verse 20, Joseph ends up in Egypt of all places, and he finds favor from the king of Egypt, so that he rises to become a ruler in his household and a teacher of wisdom to his wicked brothers. And so, with Joseph as a ruler in Egypt, you can see there in verse 23 that Joseph was able to bring his entire family, his father and uh, his, his uh, 11 brothers, so that together they would become the nation of Israel. And in the land of Egypt, they were able to move from a time of famine to a time of great fruitfulness as God grew them into a massive nation. And why did God do this? Well, again, it was because God was faithful to his promises to Abraham that he was going to bring this nation into the promised land. Well, friends, I hope you're getting the point. But the rest of the psalm continues to speak about God's faithfulness, and particularly in the period of the Exodus, where, if you remember, God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. In verse 25, the people of Egypt turn on Israel and make them into slaves. In verse 26, God sends Moses and his brother Aaron to be the rescuers of Israel. But it's not Moses and Aaron in the end who rescued Israel, is it? Rather, it is God. Well, you can see there the plagues that God sends upon Israel, uh, on, on Egypt, right? It's quite fascinating that not all the plagues are mentioned here, uh, nor are these plagues mentioned in chronological order. Does anyone remember what the first plague is that happened in Egypt? What was the first plague? Into, into blood. That was the first plague. Uh, what does the psalmist mention? It's God sending darkness, isn't it? Uh, probably because darkness is a symbol of God's judgment. And uh, what he's getting at here is God bringing his judgment against those who oppose him and his ways. That's what's happening in the plagues, isn't it? However, the important thing to see here is that it is God who is powerfully acting to free his people from slavery. You can see that God is the main actor here, because if you just scan through the plagues, you can see that God is the subject of all the verbs. He is the one who sent darkness. He turned their waters into blood. He spoke and brought the swarming flies. He gave them hail that devastated everything. 
He spoke, and locusts came. He struck down every firstborn child in the land. He was the one who powerfully brought his people out of Egypt with his mighty hand, so that they would leave Egypt not as slaves as they once were, but as kings and rulers, as they plundered the people of Egypt and came out with all their silver and gold. But further, God didn't just bring the people of God out of his, out of slavery, just to flounder around in the wilderness. Now, in verse 39, you can see there that he protected them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In verse 40, he provided for them by giving them meat and bread from heaven and, and water that came gushing out of a rock. Why? Well, again, it was because God was committed to fulfilling his promises to Abraham and to plant them in their own promised land. Which is why in verse 42 it says that God remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Now, friends, when the Bible speaks about God remembering his promises, it's not meant to paint God as, you know, a, a senile grandfather kind of figure who forgets things. You know, that's how we use the word. I'm such a forgetful person that I need to remember to take my pills or turn off the stove or uh, pick up my children from school. But in the Bible, God remembering is not the opposite of forgetting. It's actually the opposite of forsaking. That is, what the psalmist is saying is that God will never, ever forsake his promises to his people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That we have a God who, once he makes a promise, will never, ever forsake them. But here's the thing, friends. Can you see that in the final part of this psalm, we are told that God brings his people out of slavery uh, in Egypt, not so they can just carry on living as though they were the king of their own lives, but so they can live in obedience to God as the king of their lives. In verse 43, God's chosen people came out of Israel singing with joy because they had been set free from slavery. But in verse 44, they are given the promised land. And in verse 45, we are given the purpose for why they have been set free. Why have they been set free? Well, it's so that they might keep God's statutes and observe his laws and serve him as their God. In other words, friends, true freedom is not about serving yourself. True freedom is about serving God. A Christian author tells the story of uh, two men who jumped out of an airplane because they wanted to experience the thrill of uh, free falling. The only difference between these two men was that one had a parachute on his back, while the other was completely free of this burden. And the Christian author asked, 
which man is most free? You know, the one without the parachute might feel very free without the constraints of a parachute, but he's not really free, is he? He's actually in bondage to the force of gravity. He's actually in bondage to this deception that all is well because he feels unencumbered. But soon he will find out that he is actually in the bondage of death itself after a fleeting moment of pleasure. And that's exactly what our world is like, isn't it, friends? Our world thinks true freedom is to be unencumbered by God, free from all the things that he says so that I can just get on with my life doing the things that I want to do. But true freedom is being rescued by God from sin and death and Satan. True freedom is to live in obedience to God. True freedom is to serve Him. But as we begin a new year together, you realize that if you are one of God's chosen people in Christ, you have been set free by God not to live for yourself and myself, but to live for Him, to obey His word, to serve Him in our lives. In God's kingdom, there is no such thing as the non-practicing Christian. Will you and I obey God and serve Him in our lives? Or will we just leave serving God and serving others to other people who can do that sort of thing? Will you and I give our time and energy and money to serve God as we kick off this year together? Or we simply serve ourselves with these things. God has freed you not to serve yourself, but to serve Him. Well, friends, in Psalm 105 has shown us the promises of God and God's wonderful faithfulness to His promises, which is why the psalmist ends this psalm with the words, Praise the Lord. You see, when your heart tastes the goodness of God, it's God who makes extravagant promises and is faithful to those promises. You cannot help but praise God and sing hallelujah. But I want to suggest that the only way we can praise God in this way is if we see that God's promises are for us. And if we see deep in our hearts just how faithful he really is. You see, that's why the psalmist writes this psalm. It's actually a psalm that was written for God's people when they had been kicked out of the promised land, when they were in a period of exile, and when God's promises seemed distant to them. And what the psalmist here is saying to the Israel of old is, no, 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 God's promises are still for you. He is still faithful. He is still trustworthy. 
And so even as you live through a period of darkness, trust that he will keep his promises. But for us, that we can know that God's promises are for us because that when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we see something utterly amazing. Now for Turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. This will be a passage that Wayne read out before. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. It says these words. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, the promise of God to Abraham was that one day he would give a nation of people and a promised land and a great blessing from God to Abraham and to one of his offspring. And who was that offspring? Well, that offspring was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament brings with the good news that if you and I are united to Jesus by faith in Him, then we share with Him in the promises of God. And you can see that God is faithful to you and has been faithful to me because of what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. For isn't it through Jesus that we who were once nobodies because of our sin have been made somebodies whom God loves and has set his favour upon? Isn't it true that through Jesus we who were without hope in the world, like those who went through that famine, have now been fed the bread of God's word and given the hope of eternal life. Isn't it true that it is through Jesus we who were once slaves to sin and Satan and death have been freed at the cross of our Lord Jesus now to live no longer for ourselves but for the one who died for us. And why has he done this? Why has God done all this for you and me? But it's because God is still active in His promises to bring you and me into our promised land of heaven itself. Do you believe this? Do you see that God's promises are for you? Do you see that He is faithful and good? For if you do, then you and I cannot help but praise the Lord. But not only praise the Lord, but praise the Lord before others, including those who do not know the Lord. Hallelujah. What a second. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who remembers your covenant with your people forever. And we thank you so much that all of your promises found their yes and their amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that through him 
you are growing a kingdom of people for yourself. Thank you that through Him we have been seated in the promised land of heaven itself, one day to inherit it forever. And we thank you that in Him we enjoy every spiritual blessing by faith now in ways that will turn to sight in the future. And so, Father, we pray that you would so help us to see the goodness of your promises and your utter faithfulness to us, that we might praise you not only to you in song, but to one another, and especially those around us who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, forgive us if speaking about you and praising you has dropped off the agenda for us. Uh, give us fresh eyes to see see our Lord Jesus clearly this morning so that we might praise him before others before, because of his wonderful works. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name.